Welcome back uh, to the Neighboring Podcast, uh, the podcast that we attempt to try to begin to think about what makes a good neighbor or what makes healthy neighborhoods healthy. And today I am uh, joined by a friend, a longtime friend from from college. Uh, we went to college together. Ryan Taylor is a few years older than me, but I've always admired the way that he has approached uh, ministry. And Ryan has worked with um, the homeless population and or uh, our unhoused neighbors. We're going to talk a little bit about how language plays a part in how we think about the work that we do. But uh, I admire Ryan's approach to being a good neighbor and choosing work and ministry that is far more relational than transactional. And so I wanted uh, to have him come on and talk to us a little bit about um, what it's like to work alongside the homeless, help us educate. Most of us spend the time uh, around homelessness and transactional and benevolence and, you know, maybe offering blankets or food or making donations while uh, organizations carry the, the brunt of the work to address um, that issue in our society. And so uh, Ryan takes a much different approach, I think, and uh, it's been a learned approach from his long-term commitment and relational development with uh, individuals through an organization called um, the Network Coffee House. So Ryan, thanks for um, joining me on this episode of Neighboring Podcast. Well, man, I'm honored that you'd pursue a conversation with me. I, the admiration and inspiration is is very mutual. So every time I see what you're up to and what you're doing, it uh, it provokes me, man. It sparks me on. So Good to have a conversation with you this morning. Well, you are my first guest also out of uh, the Allen County, Fort Wayne, Indiana uh, area. So I'm excited to hear what perspective from, from Denver. So take a minute, introduce yourself uh, and tell us about the Network Coffee House. Like, how did, you, how did you end up at Network? Because you didn't start there. Sure. Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Hoosier like you are, man. And uh, like you said, we, we went to college together. So I'm from Indiana. Um, from South Central Indiana and went to Huntington College like you did and uh, my wife and I moved out here to Denver 17 years ago to pursue uh, a theology degree at Denver Seminary and uh, my my imagination in terms of career at that time was pretty much pulpit pastor pulpit preacher kind of guy and uh, over the years I I, I felt compelled or, or hooked or caught or however you want to say it to pursue the poorest of our neighbors, the poorest of our brothers and sisters, the most marginalized. And, and that's just kind of been incremental step by step over the years. God has just led me along this journey of, of curiosity and relational presence and so, yeah, I didn't start out at Network, graduated out of seminary and was a pastor of a, of, um, a church in South Denver and uh, did that for about four years. And even while I was there at that church, I kept taking little missions trips and uh, kept exploring these spaces and these relationships with those who we would consider the other, um, those kind of on the underside of society, folks that we would consider marginalized. And uh, that eventually led me 12 years ago to 
this funky little ministry called Network Coffee House or Network Ministries. So I didn't start this place. Uh, it was started in 1982 by a man named Don Hicks, who started this coffee house in parallel um, and in collaboration with a church. And so there's two two nonprofits functioning out of here. There's the there's the church, and then there's the the nonprofit coffee house. And the, the coffee house is a place of presence. It's um, you know, out of all the different ministries in Denver, we, if you look at it like a house, there's the bedroom, which would be like your, your rescue mission. Um, there'd be the kitchen. The rescue mission also feeds people. But there's various other ministries around town where like your clothing closet, um, your, your soup kitchen, your food pantry. Um, our, our ministry is unique in that we've called it the living room of Christ. And so we, we, we kind of look around the city and we see all these different wonderful um, benevolent projects meeting people's various needs, but there's not that many places where people can just go and hang and, and be known and be seen. And that's, that's Network's gig. So it's this little Victorian house um, in a neighborhood called Capitol Hill neighborhood in Denver. So we're just like three or four blocks east of the Capitol building. Um, so pretty much downtown, but it's called Capitol Hill. And uh, it's an old Victorian home. It's an, over 100 years old, this, this little house. Um, it's called a Denver Square house. So big red brick house. And the first floor was just transformed into uh, a coffee house. So you walk in, you walk in the front door and uh, you walk up to this bar and there's free coffee lemonade, refreshments, stuff like that up on the counter. Uh, we have a couple of bathrooms. So we're kind of in a part of the city that's the bathroom desert, actually throughout the entire city, it's, it's pretty much a bathroom desert. So to have two bathrooms in this little house is a, is a big gift to our community. And then one of those bathrooms has a shower in it. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a micro ministry. So like these, these big victories of having two bathrooms and and one shower. Folks come in and they sign up on a shower sheet. We usually get through about a dozen showers every time that we're open. Um, but beyond any material thing that we offer, our primary gig here is relationship uh, and connectivity. Seeing people for who they are. You know, we're small enough. That, that's the gift of, of being small is that you can actually look people in the eye, get to know their name, you know, these, these really weird things that, uh, and mind blowing things that we do, look people in the eye, get to know their name. Um, yeah. And, uh, have, have a little bit more intimate conversation than you normally would if you were just serving a meal or trying to get people cycled through to find a bed for the night. So we're, we're unique in that we, we get to get smaller, slower and, uh, and very relationally. So, uh, describe what a day for some of your neighbors that come in and choose to kind of what describe like a day for a normal person facing kind of homelessness or being unhoused, like from, from like where they sleep to like how they go through the process, because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a full, like full process you you describe like the various steps in the different organizations that are that are providing different aspects of of a daily and support services 
And, you know, some organizations are more equipped to provide more things than others, but you describe like the living room aspect, the place to hang out and what, if it didn't exist, where, where are people hanging out? So I'm curious if you have like, you know, a very generalized approach of like some of the people that are regulars at the network, like what their day looks like. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, you know, it's especially fascinating. And it was kind of pre-pandemic post-pandemic uh, yeah. situations in terms of what their day looks like. Um, a lot of things have changed in the last few months in terms of what it looks like for them to, to get what they need and uh, the spaces that they're allowed to be in. Um, but here in Denver, it's, it's, it's tricky. There are certain spaces that they are more welcomed in than others. Um, so currently right now, like our, our, the, the park that's across from the Capitol which on a, on a typical day, there would be a couple of hundred people in that park and probably 75% of them unhoused folks. Uh, but that park is closed down right now. So um, two blocks east of us right now is a middle school that of course is shut down. And all around the perimeter of that is lined with tents. There's over a hundred people staying around the perimeter of this middle school, they got, they got relocated from the, the Episcopal Cathedral next door. They were staying on that property, but now they're at the middle school. Um, so post pandemic, I mean, in the pandemic culture here, it's, things are a little bit different, but day to day, it's, it's, um, it's an issue of survival. Um, so they go where they will not be arrested. Um, you know, in a space that will be, uh, that'll allow them to be on the property. Um, they go where the food is. And so they just kind of gravitate towards where the resources are. Uh, and for many people, they gravitate towards where community is, where their relationships are, where their friendships are. Um, and then also, when you think about this community, you just, you think about the spectrum of human personality. I mean, you've got introverts within that world too, you know, that are kind of like me that are hit there. Some of the guys are hidden off in some alley somewhere because they, you know, they don't want to be around 50 to hundred people. Um, and that brings up, you know, kind of our, our community at network is different from the rescue mission community in that um, there's a level of trauma that kind of says, no, I don't want to go into a building with 300 other people and sleep on a bed next to 300 other people. I mean, that's the most triggering and, uh, and a traumatic thing I could, I could think of. And so they, our community here prefers to be outside um, and they prefer to be in, in a more independent, unstructured space. And oftentimes that's caused from trauma, you know, various, various traumatic experiences throughout their life. Um, so in terms of day to day, you know, it's, it's all about survival. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, talk about your journey. I think knowing you, I think the journey, your journey is important. You kind of began to go there of graduating from college, going to the like theology school to get a, a degree to become a pastor doing that. Um, but you took a took an approach to engage with marginalized populations, not as a personal desire, but also from a leadership desire, and that um, we need to go and be present and among 
uh, those that we feel called to love and serve and learn from. And that led you to uh, deeper engagement, working with another ministry, working out of the network, and eventually getting to where you're at. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey because I think one of the aspects that we often connect on is that proximity proximity matters and the more proximate and the more committed you are to being being available and open to the things that you are feeling led to call about the more the more your your own life begins to transform and take shape and feeling a feeling the call of obedience to keep going with that mm. yeah man i mean fundamentally uh, the journey begins with my upbringing and my experience in the church uh, you know, I, I grew up in the church and, um, and have, have had a relationship with, with Christ and this sort of spiritual mindset from as early as I can remember. And it's just developed and evolved over the years, you know, to the point to where I would want to go get a, a divinity degree um, and uproot, you know, my wife and I uproot from uh, Hoosierland to come out to Denver. And... Um, yeah, over time, I, as I read the scriptures, being a student of the scriptures and being sort of a theology uh, student, theology nerd, uh, more and more the scriptures seemed to come alive the more I could be in a context that mirrored the context of Jesus himself. And what I began to see as I began to move into the church world and, and become a pastor is that there is a powerful, powerful gravity or undertow, or whatever metaphor you want to use towards middle-class comfort, um, middle-class culture, uh, and, and the, the, the sort of development of the nuclear family, my, my wife and my kids and my house and everything that needs to happen in order to maintain all that. And I, you know, I think I had a growing discomfort for how that matched up with the good news of, of Jesus. Yeah. And I started to see more and more that being in spaces like network and being in spaces where I could be around the chronically homeless or around marginalized people, that, that needed to be a discipline. I had to get into a rhythm of doing that weekly, and, and if not daily, because as soon as I took a couple of weeks off from those relationships and those spaces, I felt this undertow uh, that pulled me back towards middle-class comfort. Um, I, don't, I don't think we can emphasize the, the, the gravity, the, the, the strength of that enough that, um, yeah, we are, we are going to naturally move towards um, comfort for ourselves. And so if it doesn't, if, you, if, if it almost doesn't become a job, uh, which it did for me, uh, you know, a vocational role, then you know I'm not so so sure I'd I'd be in this space regularly, and so that's that's one thing that that I learned over the years is like man I I got to commit. There's got to be some sort of determined commitment. I'm almost I've I've got to make this a job in order for me to stay in this space, and um, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean I I continue to be I'm, I am a pastor and I'm a pastor of our little church here. And, um, and then I get asked to preach at other churches locally. Um, I can't imagine my, my ministry or my voice or a sermon uh, being as, as alive and connected to the scriptures if I didn't 
exist and be, be present on a regular basis in the spaces that I'm in. Um, so it, it's, and I, I'm a beginner every day. So I've been on this journey, you know, for, for several years now. But I still feel like today's day one. I mean, it might feel more like day five or something like that, but it, I, I'm very much a beginner. I'm very much unqualified and underqualified to be in the spaces that I'm in, you know, the sort of armchair social worker, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor at heart. So I get folks coming up to me all the time saying, can you, can you fix my life? You know, can you help me do this? Can you help me do that? And uh, there's just so much that I'm, I'd be like, God, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know what to do here. Um, but there's, there's still, there's a transformative aspect of being in those awkward spaces. We can talk more about my spirituality of awkwardness and how <laughs> I feel like, how like that has, has been key for me over the years. So to keep throwing myself in awkward spaces and in underqualified spaces and in humiliating situations, um, that's, that's the stuff or, you know, we're forced to say, God help. Um, those are the spaces that transform. So. Yeah, I completely agree uh, with that sentiment of feeling like a beginner. Uh, I've been doing this for 12 years at Neighbor Lincoln, volunteered for a few years before then. But <laughs> to your point, I'm, I'm a business guy, marketer, and not a expert on older individuals or neighborhood development. And so the more that I get involved, uh, the more that it becomes complex and I have no idea. Um, which just really pushes us back, like you're saying, to a reliance on, on the Holy Spirit to lead and open, open new doors and fill in the gaps of where we're, we're at. But the, the idea of, of the discipline, as you mentioned, of proximity and showing up and staying committed to that uh, is a really important aspect to build, to do what discipline is designed to do to transform and engage us and keep us present. I sense a lot of the same things in, in our own life, same with Michelle and I and our family. And uh, you keep having to draw closer yet inching further away towards the middle-class comforts of life. And I think that's a really important aspect that I wanted to hear you share of with everything else going on in life and our positions, most of our positions of power and um, position and resources, it's, it does require uh, discipline to move closer. I'm curious for you, have, as you've gone on this journey, do you and your wife and your family feel a greater sense of freedom based on the choice of maybe growing smaller and more present than say if you, um, just kind of stayed in a, a more comfort, comfortable place and still engaged on a regular basis, but didn't quite go the, the avenue that you went. Yeah, I'm not so sure that, that I would use the word freedom, but I, I would use words like integrity and character in answering that question. And at the end of the day, I think that's, that's what allows us to be okay with ourselves and, uh, and moving forward when you know that you've got uh, an integrity and that your, your values match up with what you, you say your values are. Um, so I, I, think, uh, I, th I think, I do think that is freedom. 
you know, when you get to live a life in which your values match up with, with, with your, your external living, your external practice uh, correlates with your internal values. And so I, I get maybe that is the definition of freedom when you're allowed to do right. that. For more context, I guess, in the, the way that I was thinking about your answers, uh, kind of where I was curious if you would, you would go, but um, choosing to be engaged and maybe choosing to live simpler or choosing a focus of this type of work, like this type of work um, puts us in positions, but having freedom to be able to respond to the Holy Spirit when, when needed yeah. and the, the goal of living simply and more connected uh, when the opportunities are presented and we're asked whether or not we're going to going to follow and lean in, do we have the, the awareness and um, the belief that we'll, we'll be able to be okay or what is on the other side of the lesson that we're attempting to learn is, is worthwhile and that we have the freedom to maybe choose to lean in when rather than not, because we've tied ourselves to other things. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's an important thing. I mean, when you, when you say the word freedom and what allows you and I to, to maintain these roles and stay in these spaces and to be in proximity to the people that we feel called to be with. Um, yeah, we can't do that if we have like enormous loads of debt in our life or enormous loads of, um, you know, cool material stuff that we're trying to maintain. There does, so it, it, it requires a, a degree of, of simplicity in our lifestyle in order for us to stay in these spaces and to be in these relationships. Um, yeah. In order to be present to anybody, we kind of have to be untethered uh, from these material things um, and from the, 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 the consumptive addiction, you know, the, the consumptive pull to, to, for more and to maintain the more we gotta, we gotta, you know, we have to learn to, to live a lifestyle that's, that's detached from some of those things in order for us to stay in this rhythm of being present in the spaces that we are. What have been some of the lessons that you've learned in, uh, in the time where you've been present? And so, for instance, whether just being in the living room of the, the coffee house or showing up to advocate for some of the friends that you've made through, through the ministry, like when, when they reflected to you, um, maybe after the fact or down the, after a season of what presence matters, uh, what have been some of those conversations? Is there a story that stands out where you've, you've been affirmed by uh, someone you're building a relationship with about proximity mattering to them and you showing up in a, in a way that, maybe others haven't in their life or they wish others would. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not, you know, what the story that comes to my mind first is the, is the story of uh, my very first night. So I, when I started here, um, we have a, we have a different staff that facilitates each time that we're open. So we, you know, we call them shifts. And so I ran the Wednesday night shift 12 years ago. And on, on my very first night, there was a, a man um, uh, who had been homeless for the majority of his life. He didn't have any fingers left um, on, and we might have had a, a couple of fingers left on both hands. 
but I remember him um, walking up to me in all of my naivete and my ambition and, and everything on that first night. And he's he, that one finger, that two, those two fingers that remained, he stuck him in my chest. And he said, you'd better not be here to fix me. You'd better not be here to fix me. And so um, that was kind of my, my orientation into what it looks like to be present. Okay, so my, my youthful ego and ambition, which, is, which still exists in me, um, it wants to do cool things and wants to fix and wants to see progress made. And, um, but that was my orientation into be one of us, like be on the ground with us. You know, and now that I'm in the, uh, the director chair, you know, it's like, can't hang out in your office all day even though you do have bills to pay and emails to respond to and, and things of that nature, like come play a game of chess with us, you know, come have this argument about what quarterback needs to be on the field for the Broncos, you know, like get involved and uh, get passionate about it. Like, like be human, you know, like, like be, be incarnational, like be, be one with us. And so that, I continually get these, you know, these messages from these relationships of your credibility and your character is going to go as far as you're able to sit down and have a conversation that's going to mean nothing, um, you know, on the grand scale, but it's going to mean everything on the, the localized, small relational scale in terms of how far my trust of you goes, you know, whether or not we can sit here and kick it and talk about the Broncos, you know. Um, so you're not here to fix me. You're here to relate to me. And then down the road when, you know, stuff hits the fan and I'm in need, I'm going to come to the person that I trust, you know? And so I don't know if that answers the question, but, no, it's but great. Uh, that, that's, that's part of the journey of, of learning what it looks like to be present is we're not here to fix. Yeah. Well, I usually ask uh, the kind of the question about what makes a good neighbor towards the end, but I think it's relevant for our conversation to hear what you think uh, it means to be a good neighbor. Um, so Ryan, what, what do you feel like makes a good neighbor? Like, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? Well, I'll, you know, I'll wear out this word presence. Um, and part of being present is, is being a listener, you know, and I kind of just talked about what it looks like not to be a fixer, but to be a listener and to be, to be ordinary, um, you know, so to be, to be a leader that has their feet on the ground, you know, this whole justice, mercy, humility thing, you know, that, that humble word, uh, you know, comes from the word hummus, which means of the earth. And I was just think, you know, are my feet on the ground today? Are my feet on the ground? Am I willing to waste time, you know, quote unquote, waste time with my yeah. neighbors? Um, I think that, you know, that's, we, we can be so ethereal and, and have uber book intelligence and however many degrees, but unless our feet is on the ground, unless our feet are on the ground, we're not going to have the credibility and the, the sense of trust and the sense of mutual trust. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's a lot of what it looks like to be a good neighbor. Am I willing to listen? Um, you know, am I willing to to waste time? Uh, am I willing to, to not look so productive, to not feel so efficient, 
for the sake of of relationship and so so much of that so much of that comes down to listening skills paying attention um yeah so that, that you know so much of being a good neighbor comes down to listening being attentive yeah. want to talk about language and labels for a minute um, this is something I've been trying to learn a lot about as we move from transactions to transformation and you try to do long-term relational work and uh, I'll be attempt to be neighbor to neighbor more than just uh, organization to client or recipient um, I have personally been trying to learn a lot more about dignifying like conversations and uh, ways to communicate and uh, I think it's relevant to this conversation. And so I'd love to hear your uh, language for talking about um, homelessness. That's usually the, the kind of the category and it's, it's relevant, but then you talk about unhoused neighbors. Like tell, talk about the difference in how language matters when we describe, um, in this case, people that, that don't have houses versus those that we do. Sure. Yeah, and I don't feel like I'm the best guy to talk to with that stuff. I don't, I don't keep up really well with the whole politically correct um, or even woke language uh, in many respects. But, but here's the thing for me: like, I, I was in a conversation with a with a police officer. It's uh, probably been six months ago, and, um, and and we were talking about the unhoused community, and he used this phrase. Like they're all the same. They're all the same, and it was really heartbreaking to me because I'm like, no, dude, like they're they're not all the same, you know. And I started naming names, like this is Mary, and you know, and and this is Clint, and like they're not all the same. These are, and so I think when we when you talk about unhoused people versus homeless people, I think uh, it, it's it's dignifying their humanity because as soon as we place a label on somebody um you know we're we're creating a, a stereotyped identity on them that that actually extracts their humanity from them so in all any of the language that we use we want it to be language that dignifies the image of god i want it to be language that 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 dignifies the the human factor in a person so anytime we like so when we use the word homeless we just kind of think homeless people and, and we kind of go in the direction of they're all the same. All the circumstances are the same. Uh, you know, uh, all the personalities are the same. Now th these are, this is the Imago day we're talking about. Each, each set of eyes we look into each, each person that's in front of us, this is an individual with a story and they just happen to be unhoused. They happen to be unhoused. But if we can look at them like, this is this is my sister. This is this is my my unhoused brother, and and they are indeed my neighbor, and so it it comes down to language that dignifies and affirms. This is somebody's child. Least of all, you know, this is God's child. So, um, so that's what we have to keep in mind. Um, even though I say I don't I don't keep up with the, you know, the woke language of the day, but it's like I think we'll be okay if we're using language that we intentionally 
are, are conscious of the fact that this is dignifying who they are as an image of God. Yeah, that's great. Uh, over the years, I've tried to look at it in the very same same vein of, well, if I'm a neighbor and they're a neighbor, then we're, we are far much more uh, the same and equal. And the more you do this work, the more you recognize that we are we all have something to contribute and we all have something to receive and the more you build relationships with those that are on the margins or are different than you you recognize that they have plenty to offer you in your own journey and then it's a matter of just looking at our life circumstances and each of our vulnerabilities different i think i've been trying to figure out and learn far more about vulnerability lately and if anything, this work, yes, I get to step into somebody else's vulnerability, which may be tangible and transactional or out of my own gifting or resources. Uh, but most of the time you walk away feeling like you've been transformed more than you've transformed the situation. And that's been helpful as I understand it's our, we're all, we're all equal in, in a way we're just dealing with different life circumstances and, and, and issues. Yes. Uh, you, you recently posted uh, about justice begins with an intentional detachment from consuming and controlling. Uh, the correlation in the scriptures between Sabbath rest and justice is strong. The capacity to see reality for what it is, to love our neighbor, to bring justice to oppressed people has everything to do with stopping uh, consumption, stopping our pursuit of controlling all outcomes, and stopping the work of protecting our self-image. Huge part of our job is learning what it really means to rest. We'd love for you to break that down a little bit. It certainly, for me, I, I read that and it, it connects to this proximity conversation we're having, but in terms of scripture and rest and presence and all those things, curious how you, would you expound on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I say that because I'm an easily distracted individual, man. Like, I, you know, I'm wrapped up in, uh, the 24-7 news cycle, as well as, you know, making sure I watched every episode of The Last Dance, you know, keeping up with Michael Jordan's life and, and uh, you know, everything that's going on on ESPN.com, of course. Uh, you know, so there's just all this flood of, of information, especially right now in this current moment. Um, we're curious, like we want to be, we want to be up to date with what's going on. And, um, and we're, you know, we're leaders of organizations. And so there's, there's so much, you know, besides all this flood of, of information that's coming in from uh, the outside, there's, there's our jobs that we've, we've and, and there's this culture of never stopping and, and this culture of productivity. I mean, it's just sort of the, 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 the capitalist um, rhythm that we're in, that we've, it's time to produce. You wake up in the morning and we think about what we've got to get done. All of that is counterintuitive to the idea of presence. All that's all that is gonna. It, it makes it very very challenging for me to be present to you this morning when I'm thinking about everything else and I'm just overloaded and consumed with with everything else. And so, I mean, if you want to look at it from from the perspective of the very beginning of of uh, you know, the biblical story, it, it begins. You know, day number one is is time to rest. Day number one in the creation account, you know, it's our, our Sunday is well, or for the in the Hebrew people, their Saturday. This is a time to rest, and it's a it's and part of resting is unplugging from the news cycle, unplugging from everything that 
that we believe is relevant. And, and I can come back fresh. I can come back, come back with a, a clean canvas ready to paint, you know, the next day. I can come back being consciously aware of who's in front of me. And so, I, you know, I think guys like you and me in the positions that we're in, man, if we don't unplug, and that doesn't mean taking a vacation. I mean, that means an intentional moments of prayer, um, intentional moments of, of actual physical bodily rest. Um, it's, it's really, really difficult to stay present, you know, to what's in front of us. And so, yeah, I mean, it's all over the scriptures. I mean, if we want to pay attention to it, it's, uh, we're, we're going to be, our, our, our sense of capacity is going to come down to our sense of, be, our, our sense of connectivity with God. And that's, that happens through our rest. Yeah. You had a, another great post recently about uh, the com the complications with our society on winning and uh, that pursuit driving much of, uh, much of uh, our culture in fear. And so I read that and we won't go into it here, but very, very aware about gosh, all the pressures and the things as I read that, I'm like flooding back and trying to process that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's especially in the, in the time of COVID about how organizations are responding and doing crisis a little bit different and who's rushing in and who's not. And, uh, and then, you know, trying to value, are you, are, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right things? And where do I rank in this? And does it matter? And, and all yeah. of those things. So I, I really appreciate those. We'll, have to connect people to some of your writing so they can see it. Uh, at the tip of your work, I see your efforts in advocacy being crucial to creating better laws, ordinance, and opportunities. I see you moving more towards advocacy and standing in the gaps and showing up at, in things. Talk to me about um, what advocacy and your move into some of that has looked like and what's, what seems like really uh, renewing for you in that or really challenging because it's uh, I think it's it's tough stuff to move into and knowing how to do it well, especially if you've not been educated or trained or seen somebody else do that for you. Yeah. Yeah, and there again, I mean, it that stems from the the depth of our relationships. So when I hang out here at the coffee house and I I get to know Native American brothers and sisters, you know, we're kind of in a in a central hub here in Denver, you know, we've got Lakota uh, natives to our north, and we've got Navajo um, uh, to our south, um, and many other tribes, you know, surrounding Denver. So Denver is kind of a place of convergence for our Native brothers and sisters. So hanging out at Network with Native Americans, you know, that that moved my heart several years ago to go up to Pine Ridge Reservation and and get to know where many of our folks came from um, and, and just get to understand, you know, that, that culture and that history, um, you know, it's all based on the relationship with folks I'm getting to know more and we're, we're sharing life together. Well, I want to know, I want to know who they are. I want to know where, where they're from. And, you know, the same with the black community, you know, the, the depth of our relationships is going to compel us to understand um, the, the history the complexity, the intricacy, the, the injustice in that community. And it's, it, we just can't help it. You know, when our heart is tied to this person in relationship, then uh, even before we, we know the right thing to say, 
or the right thing to do, we're going to take that step. We're going to move in the direction of advocacy, um, you know, not for some sort of uh, theoretical reason, but because I love this guy over here. He's, he's my friend. And so I want to, I want to advocate for him. I don't know what that's going to look like, but let's be in a, let's be in a posture of learning and curiosity and let's throw yourself into some situations that you're not qualified to be in. Uh, so anyway, that, that, you know, that started happening to me. I, it, and it puts me in a position in which I need to understand, um, you know, sort of the nature and the experiences within the criminal justice system um, and just within, within broader society, how certain people are treated because of who they are. Um, and, and I think especially, um, you know, within the criminal justice system, you know, our, our, when you, once you've been convicted, once you have a felony, once you have a misdemeanor, how does that impact your ability to get a job? You know, how does that, how does that create an extra layer of exhaustion and hopelessness in your life? And, um, well, what's that all about? Maybe I should get to understand the, 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 the layers of the structure of the criminal justice system and just how complicated it is to, to come out of that and, um, you know, find your footing again. And so, you know, it all starts relationally. Um, and, and then that moves you to read more books about subjects and it moves, moves you to place your body in, in positions where you're in, in greater solidarity, whether that means marching, whether that means posting on social media. Oh, but I think the important thing is we've got to put our bodies with, uh, in positions of solidarity with our friends. And, uh, and again, you know, it's like friendships move us to do that. Genuine friendship yeah. move us in that direction. So again, it, it begins with relationship. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, you're in the process of writing a book, getting towards what the end, I believe. Tell us about your book and uh, what to expect from that. Well, my working title, you know, I started working on this stupid thing um, 12 years ago, and the working title has been The Irrelevant Christ. And so, you know, it's the whole premise of the divine being found, you know, in, in deep meaning being found and spirituality being found in, in the shadows of society, in the places where we normally wouldn't go looking for it, um, and in the places of discomfort, in the places of pain, in the places of irrelevance. <clears throat> so Christ plays in the shadows. Uh, the shadows are always surprising me. Uh, the, the marginalized spaces, uh, the places of, of suffering that we typically write off and say that that's meaningless. Uh, actually, there's, it's, that's rich compost for the garden of life. And so it's, it's a book about that, whatever that means. Um, and, you know, so it gets into theology. It gets into the work of prayer. I mean, I think the, the real work of prayer is, is, uh, seems to be irrelevant to most people. Um, uh, and these relationships that I'm talking about, you know, this idea of wasting time among marginalized folks. I mean, we, that's, that's one of the, one of the biggest red flags in society is to be unproductive and inefficient. But what if those are the places, what if we if we show up there intentionally, we find that those are the places that, that Christ speaks the loudest. Um, and, um, and so it's, it's kind of all my, it's, it's memoir ish, you know, it's my goofy journey 
of, of who I am as an individual and these various relationships and places that that I found myself in and uh, and then some of the the rich transformative stuff that have come out of some of the most awkward and and humiliating of places and so it's eight chapters uh, as of right now full of of stories and and theology and, and teaching um, surrounding all those themes it's great well congrats on taking the journey and staying with it and uh, sharing your story about that through through that book I think uh, I look forward to to reading reading it myself as we work to close I would love for to hear like your recommendation or your thoughts like if if you were to speak to those of us that have a desire to to move from transactional to transformational kind of engagement and, and increase our proximity and primarily with our unhoused neighbors. What is what does that look like? What is your what is your encouragement to somebody that has maybe been donating, been seeing, um, maybe is is volunteered at a rescue mission or something, but has it has a desire to learn more? What would be an encouragement that, that you have or you've given in the past to them to increase their kind of commitment and and go on the journey? Yeah, I mean, I'd say a couple of things. I think one, you know, going back to that sense of gravitational pull towards comfort, middle-class comfort, I think what there does have to be some sort of uh, throwing yourself into a season of, of determined commitment. You know, that on a weekly basis, I am going to show up here in this space where I am going to have the opportunity to develop relationships with people. And, and so d allowing space creating a, uh, you know, a rhythm of that determined showing up, being in proximity and, and, and saying, you know, I'm going to do this for six weeks. I'm going to start off with something, you know, taking small chunks. I'm going to go six weeks in this space. I'm going to show up every week. Um, you know, don't go for the gusto, you know, not, not eight hours a day, not 12 hours a day, not, not being unhoused yourself. Um, so, you know, curb your ambition, but just set aside, you know, the, uh, the time to show up. And then number two, I would say uh, be, be in a ministry and be in a position where um, you can practice relational presence in which you can actual, actually have conversation. Um, I, I applaud the soup kitchen idea. People need to be fed. People need to be clothed. People need to be housed. But sometimes we come to the table with such an agenda. You know, it's kind of that fixing agenda again. Can I, can I come, can I be in a space and come to the table in which I'm a learner and I'm listening to stories? I'm asking questions and sometimes I'm, you know, I even lower the intensity of my question asking. Can I show up and talk about baseball? Yeah. Can I show up and and talk about whatever you know you start with the question of where are you from man what was that like you know where are you from and i tell you what that's like so it has to be this back into this place where it feels like i'm kind of wasting my time talking about whatever um and not making sure okay are you fed are you doing okay you know da, 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 da. Oh, can i be in a, in a space in which we can just relate um, in a very ordinary, grounded, humble way. So 
a rhythm of showing up in a space in which we can kind of be ourselves without uh, this agenda of fixing something. That would be my, my two encouragements. That's great. Ryan, thank you for your time and thank you for the dedication in the way that you and your family uh, live your life. It's encouraging to me from all the way to Indiana. And if I was in Denver, I would be, be right there with you uh, trying to learn alongside. So thank you for the ongoing friendship and your work and uh, sharing your journey through books and encouraging the rest of us to uh, be open to the transformation that can happen by being present and asking those kind of uh, simple questions just to get to know people for who they are and not what they need or what their problem was. So I really appreciate that. Man, thanks for pursuing me and thanks for your wonderful questions, man. It's good to be with you. Good. Well, that's it for this episode of Neighboring. Hopefully you uh, enjoyed hearing Ryan. And I think uh, his stories in this podcast is as relevant as ever as we attempt to dive into the current events that are going on now, whether it's how is COVID impacting our neighbors and what does life circumstances look? Uh, we're all facing life circumstances in different ways uh, right now, regardless of your socioeconomics. I think everyone is being impacted in some way. And then specifically as it relates to um, the racial tension and increased awareness of how we um, be neighbors with our black and brown and people of color neighbors. And so this idea of being present and asking questions and getting to know each other is so important, especially if you um, don't look like your neighbors. It's now more important to look at each neighbor as an individual and get to know them and begin to work this out through relational connectivity. So tune in next week as we continue the episodes on this neighboring podcast.